It is good to see all of you here. My name is Doug, and I'm so glad that you came this morning, especially if this is your first time. It's great to see these kids on stage, and it's great to worship Jesus together as we kick off the the Christmas season. Over the next few weeks, we will be going through a series called Home. And in this series, we will look at the original Christmas story, and we will talk about the birth of Jesus But we're also going to focus on the reason why Jesus came. And here's what it's all about. All of us were lost, and then Jesus came to bring us home. You know, that word home is so powerful. Home is a concept that brings up all of these images and feelings and memories. If you look at all of the books and the songs and the movies throughout history, you will see this theme of home appear again and again and again. For example, almost 2,000 years ago, a man from ancient Rome named Pliny the Elder, he wrote down these words. He said, home is where the heart is. So that phrase goes back a while. And then about 80 years ago in The Wizard of Oz, Dorothy said, there's no place like home. Later in the 70s, John Denver released a song called Country Roads, Take Me Home. In the 80s, E.T. made that famous statement, E.T., phone home. And then in the 90s, even Ozzy Osbourne got a little sentimental, and he sang, Mama, I'm coming home. So why is it that this concept of home just resonates with all of us? Well, let me ask you, when you hear the word home, what comes into your mind? For me, I think about my childhood. I think about all those great memories that I have, like being with my family around Christmas time. I have a couple of pictures to share with you. This is me as a two-year-old putting ornaments on the tree. That was also the year that I got to dress up as Santa for the first time. Uh, This picture is at my grandparents' home in Jacksonville. And we went down there just about every year to spend Christmas with the family. We always had the best time. And these days, I get to experience Christmas as a dad. We have three children in our home, and it is, it's a magical thing to see Christmas through their eyes. So the concept of home and the season of Christmas are tied together very closely for me. And overall, my memories of home are very positive. But I realize it's not that way for everybody. For many of us, the word home brings up memories that are more painful than positive. You may look to the past and remember a home that was not a good place to be. Or you may look around here in the present and your home is not what you hoped or dreamed it would be. Maybe you're missing someone who isn't here anymore. Maybe someone in your family is dealing with serious health issues. It could be that your family is in conflict right now. Or maybe your home is just a lonely place to be. You know, it's tough when life doesn't match up to the picture on that Christmas card, that perfect picture. But you know, when when you step back and think about it, even the best homes can't give us what we really long for. We know this, right? Even if your situation is ideal for the moment, I guarantee you that things will change. 
got another picture to show you. This is me and my dad and my kids in Malden, South Carolina this past summer. And we're standing in front of the house where I lived from age three to about age nine. And many of my best memories of home happened right there. But you know what? That place doesn't feel like home anymore. That moment in time is long gone. This year will be the first Christmas since my mom passed away. And there is absolutely no way that I could recreate the vision of home that I have in my memory. And there's also no way for me to hold on to the version of home that I have here in the present. And so all of us find ourselves in the same situation. We all long for a permanent home where we truly belong, where we are safe and at rest. But that kind of home seems impossible to find, except for maybe a fleeting moment. So if that dream is just a fantasy, why do we all have this longing? Well, I believe that desire is hardwired into our hearts. We're all longing for the same thing. And over the course of this series, we're going to come back to this one basic idea again and again. The true definition of home is to be in the presence of God. When we go to the Bible, we see that idea expressed very clearly. In Psalm 62, King David wrote these words. He said, My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. Do you ever wonder why you feel so restless? Do you ever wonder why you never quite feel at home, even when you are at home? This is the reason. We have this restless ache inside of us because you and I were made to be with God, to be with the one who made us, to be fully loved by the one who knows us best, to be comfortable, completely satisfied, completely at rest. We often try to relieve that aching feeling by running after things in this world, but that doesn't work. Things in this world can never give us what we're looking for. Just like David, your soul will not find rest outside of the presence of God. But how do we get to that place? How can we find rest in God's presence? Well, this is the great thing about Christmas. Like I said earlier, the story of Christmas is all about Jesus coming to bring us home. He came to bring us back into God's family. Look at the Gospel of John chapter 1. This passage helps us understand what Jesus has done. John 1 verse 9 says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And that's a reference to that first Christmas because Jesus is the light of the world. But then John goes on and he says, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Now, there's a lot to process in these few verses, but let's focus on the main idea. Jesus made it possible for everyone to become children of God, to be restored as a son or a daughter in God's family, not just temporarily, but for all eternity. In other words, 
Jesus made a way for us to find the home we've been looking for. But did you notice? Some people completely missed out on all of that. They didn't recognize Jesus. They didn't accept what he was offering. You know, the story of Christmas and the story of Jesus is great news, but only if you receive it. So, let's back up and let's make sure that we don't go through this Christmas season and miss Jesus. I want to zoom out and look at the big picture of the story of Jesus. And we'll divide up this story into several parts. And here's part one. All of us, all of us ran away from home. And let's remember what we mean by that word home. Home is to be in the presence of God. So running away from home means running away from God's presence. But why would anybody do that? Why would anyone run from God? Well, every human in history has had this same problematic tendency. We see God sitting on the throne of our lives and we say, no, you get off the throne. I want to sit down. I want to take your place. Sorry, God, I'm not going to let you rule over me right now. I want to be in charge. And we do that for all kinds of reasons. Some people refuse to let God rule because they just don't believe he exists. But then for others, it's more about a battle of wills. God says no to something, but we want to say yes. Or God says yes to something, and we want to say no. The truth is, whenever we go against God's will, we're choosing to run away from him. Everybody in the world throughout history has made this same conscious decision from Adam and Eve all the way down to the present day. The prophet Isaiah put it this way. He said, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And you know, there's a reason why Isaiah compares us to sheep. Sheep are dumb. And anytime we decide that we are smarter than God, that's a dumb move. But in the Bible, there's another word that describes that tendency to run away. The word is sin. And in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul writes, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that is the right word to use here. Running away from God is not just a dumb move. It's sin. It's rebellion. It's a total rejection of God himself. But that leads us to the next part of the story. Running from God never works out the way we planned. When we sin, we make a mess of our lives. We've made a mess of this whole world. And for that reason, all of us long for our true home. Remember that ache I was talking about? That restless desire to be in God's presence? Everyone feels that. Literally everyone. It doesn't matter how rich or famous or successful you are. It doesn't matter how many people say that you're awesome. Underneath it all, when we are separated from God, we know that something is missing. I want to give you a real-life example of this. One of my least favorite teams in the NFL is the New England Patriots. I've had serious issues with them ever since they beat the Miami Dolphins in the AFC Championship game in 1986. I'm trying to get over it. (laughs) So obviously, Tom Brady is not my favorite quarterback. But he is a great example of what I'm talking about here. If you follow football at all, you know that Tom Brady is up there with the best of the best. He holds all kinds of records. 
He has six Super Bowl rings, which is more than any other player in NFL history. A lot of people would say he's the top quarterback of all time. And along with that, he's also extremely wealthy. Back in August, Brady signed a two-year, $70 million contract extension as a 42-year-old. And to go along with that, he dated a series of supermodels and eventually married one. So by every standard of this world, Tom Brady should have found exactly what he was looking for. But a few years ago, and a few Super Bowls ago, Brady said something very interesting. In the middle of an interview, he said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it's all about. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me? I think, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't. This can't be all it's cracked up to be. And the interviewer asked him what the answer might be. And he said, what's the answer? I wish I knew. I love playing football. I I love being quarterback for this team. But at the same time, I think there are a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find. So what is it that Tom Brady is looking for? Is it meaning or fulfillment or significance? Yeah, I believe it's all those things, but it goes further than that. Ultimately, he's after the same thing that we all want. There is only one way for our souls to find rest or meaning or significance. We find those things when we are at home in the presence of God. But here's the hard part of our story. Because of our sin, none of us deserve to come back home. It's a conundrum. We can't find rest until we're at home with God, but we have no right to be in God's presence. We don't deserve that. So what is it that we do deserve? Well, if you go back to Romans, Paul explains it this way. He says, for the wages of sin, what we've earned, what we deserve because of our sin is death. When we chose to run away from God, we bought ourselves a death sentence the death we're talking about here is eternal separation from God. It's hell. And just to be clear, that punishment is not just for the big sins or the bad sins like murder. It applies to every sin, like the time when you told that story and you exaggerated the truth even though you knew it was a lie. You know, this is where some people struggle with God. They're like, man, if if God really is good if, if he really is loving, how could he allow anyone to go to hell? Especially people who are basically good and decent. And I've struggled with those thoughts myself. But I heard someone explain this with an illustration that is really helpful. So I've shared it a lot. Imagine that you are holding a glass of water. And let's say this water has been tested and it was found to be 100% pure. It's completely free of all contaminants. Now, would you feel okay about drinking this water? Well, sure you would. It's pure water. But now, let's imagine that you have another glass of water and you learn that just a few minutes earlier, someone had added just a drop of poison to this water. Now, before the poison, this water was also completely pure. So by percentage, the good still outweighs the bad. But would you be okay drinking from this glass? Absolutely not, right? And this illustration really helps us understand the holiness of God. 
The truth is God is completely good, completely holy. He's 100% righteous, 100% pure. And this is why God cannot just welcome sinful people into his presence. If God overlooks our sin and allows us to escape the punishment that we deserve, we would be like a drop of poison into that glass of pure water. God's perfect character would be compromised. So because God is good, sin must be punished. If God just looked the other way every time we sinned, he would no longer be a good God. And trust me, you don't want a God like that. Think about all the crimes that are committed every day. We don't want those crimes to go unpunished. We want justice. We just don't want to be on the receiving end of that justice. But like I said, that's exactly where we find ourselves. None of us deserve to come back home. But thank God, that's not the end of the story. God made a way for us to come back. Remember the verse we read a few minutes ago, the one that compared us to sheep going astray? I didn't read the whole verse, so let's go back and finish that. The prophet Isaiah said, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, the last part of that verse is very important. It says that God took our iniquity, which is another word for sin, and he laid our sin on someone else. That someone is Jesus. That was the plan. That was the rescue mission. That's the reason why Jesus came to earth. He was born as a baby in Bethlehem, but he grew up and he became a man. And he lived a perfect life. He he had no sins of his own to pay for, but he chose to take your place and my place. He chose to bear the punishment of of death on our behalf. He went to the cross and he died so that you and I could escape the punishment. And, you know, this is another one of those areas where Christianity doesn't always make sense to people. They'll say, I don't see the connection. How can I be forgiven because of something Jesus did 2,000 years ago? And I get that. This can be confusing. Uh, But there's another illustration that may be helpful here. On the street where I live, one of our neighbors has a basketball goal that faces the street. And we see kids playing there all the time. Well, let's imagine that You park your car on my street, and one of those kids accidentally throws a basketball toward your car and smashes the windshield. And then the boy who threw the ball runs up to you, and he's very apologetic, but he's also very upset because he doesn't have enough money to pay for a new windshield, not even close. So what happens next? Well, in order to repair your car, somebody has to pay for the windshield, right? It could be the boy's parents, it could be you, it could be the insurance company, it could even be the auto glass repair shop if they decide to be super nice and do the job for free. The point is, the damage won't be fixed until somebody pays the price. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He saw your sin. He saw that you were headed for an eternity, separated from God, and he said, no, I, I, I am not okay with that. I will do whatever it takes to keep that from happening. I will pay the price myself. It reminds me of one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And look at the timing on that. While we were still sinners, God could have said, hey, listen, if you stop being an idiot, if you clean up and get your act together, then maybe, just maybe I'll take you back. He could have said that, but he didn't. God knows exactly how sinful we've been. He knows all of our secrets. He's well aware of the worst things we've ever done. And despite that, Jesus came and he took our iniquity on his shoulders. We did not deserve that sacrifice in any way, shape, or form. But he did it anyway because God loves you with an amazing love. So that's the significance of the cross The cross is the intersection of where his story meets your story. Through the sacrifice of Jesus, God offers forgiveness and grace to everyone, everywhere. It's like he's reaching out and he's offering you this free gift, this present. And to make it yours, all you need to do is receive it. But we know that not everyone chooses to accept that gift, right? It's what we read earlier in John chapter 1. Let's go back and read that again. It says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So back in the days when Jesus walked this earth, many people chose to reject him. And all around us today, Many people still choose to reject him. But that's not what God wants. He he wants to, to give us what we long for. He wants to adopt us into his family, bring us into his presence. He wants to bring us home. That's what we see as we keep reading in John 1. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. I love this part of the story. Because of Jesus, we can start to experience our real home here and now. When you choose to accept the gift of forgiveness and salvation that comes through Jesus, the barrier between you and God is removed. The damage is repaired. Your sin has been paid for. And then his presence begins to fill your life right here, right now. He begins to transform you from the inside out. He changes you to become the person he wants you to be. And I realize when you go to church and you hear about all this, it may seem hard to believe. It may sound too good to be true. Or it may be that you have trust issues because you had a bad experience with church in the past. Or maybe you've seen people who claim to be Christians, but they really don't seem different than anyone else. And yeah, sure, we could point to examples like that, but I could also point you to people who have truly surrendered their lives to Jesus, and now they are living in God's presence, and they're being changed by him. They're completely different than who they used to be. I want you to meet someone like that. Nick Avery is a friend of mine here at Plum Creek, and we asked Nick if he'd be willing to share some of his story, and he agreed to do that. So let's watch this video. I'm Nick Avery, and uh, my story begins in Detroit.
got into a lot of trouble as a kid. Um, towards my senior year, I went to jail for stealing uh, auto parts. And um, when I got out, they put me on probation for a while. And uh, during that time, I was offered a free ride to go to Henry Ford Community College for automotive. And uh, as I was coming towards the end of probation, they told me that if I got in trouble, that you know it would get worse. It would just kind of snowball. So then I got the opportunity to go to Cleveland to um, diesel school down there. And I took that opportunity. And while I was down in Cleveland, um, I met John Crail or JJ, and uh, he, um, there was something different about him. You know, he was just generally a good guy. One day he was asking me what I was doing for the weekend, and, and I told him that uh, I was probably just going to stay in Cleveland, and he offered for me to go home with him. And I said, yeah, I'll come check it out where you go. And so I went home with him, and uh, part of that was, uh, was coming to Plum Creek. And, you know, I was like, well, if that's what your family does, I'll, I'll go. I, like I said, I didn't grow up in a religious home, but, you know, I'd go to appease people. So I went to Plum Creek with them. And while I was down here, I ended up meeting this really cute girl. And uh, she, um, she also went to Plum Creek. You know, we just kept coming back to Plum Creek. And uh, when I got towards the end of college, I had the choice to either go back home and hook back up with all them buddies at this point that were either in jail or hooked on drugs pretty heavily or, um, you know, try this new relationship and move down to Northern Kentucky. So that's what I did. I, I came down here and while um, she still wanted to go to church and, and I still wanted to party on Saturday and sleep in on Sunday and, uh, you know, Happy wife, happy life. I got up and came to church on Sunday. And this went on for about three years. And during that three years, I, um, I was just able to answer a lot of questions that I had. You know, it went from Jesus was a good guy that we wrote a book on to lead people to a better life to me actually finding out who Jesus was and what he did for us and dying on the cross, you know, so we could have eternal life. And, um, at one point, I was like, I, I, I've got to go, i got to go in that pool. So I told Amber that I'm going to go meet with this Doug guy, the new pastor, and I'm going to get in the pool. After that, that's when life started to really change. I, um, I got more involved with uh, small groups and different ways of serving. I got to really see how God could work in other people's lives and, and change lives. I didn't really grow up with good guidance, and uh, now instead of having a good, you know, I never had that good father guidance, but now I do. You know, I've, I've got, I've got the book, I've got the Bible for my guidance, and, and the Holy Spirit to help judge and guide me through stuff, and that's the center of my marriage. And I have a good marriage, and I have good kids, and I know how to guide them in life where I didn't have that before. I think back of what life would have been if you know I would have stayed on that rocky soil um, I probably would have ended up in jail or you know ended up having some something of a form of a marriage that just never really worked and uh, I'm just so thankful that you know God plucked me out of the situation that I was in 
and put me over here in good soil. And I, you know, I got the relationship with Jesus that I do now and was able to grow and just be surrounded with, uh, with great Christians. When I'm just focusing on what God needs done and, and where I can serve Him, everything else just, it just happens. It, you know, just falls together. There is so much joy in not worrying about where you're going to end up or what's going to happen. When you can walk every day knowing that when you die, like you are going to a better place and that God has ultimate timing over everything. So there's no reason to worry about how things are going to fall. Like he'll make them fall the way that he wants and the way that, you know, his will is for you. That's what we love to see at our church. We love to see people finding their way home to God. Plum Creek is really focused on the mission that God has given us. Our mission is leading people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. That's the task that Jesus assigned to all of his followers. He gave these instructions in Matthew chapter 28. And just to put this in context, this passage takes place shortly after Jesus rose from the dead and then not long before he returned to heaven to be with his heavenly Father. In Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So that's what we're about here at Plum Creek. We want to follow those instructions and be used by God to make disciples. And then we want to see those disciples go out and make other disciples. Now, if you came here today and you're new to all of this, I want you to know you don't have to wait to come home to God. You could do that before you leave. And I know there are lots of things that could be holding you back. You may struggle with doubts. You may feel like you want to wait before you get serious with God. But let me encourage you. How long will you look for home in the wrong places? I believe the answer is right in front of you. I believe that God has you here for a reason today, and he's speaking to you right now. Maybe it's time to change. Maybe it's time to respond. You could give up control of your life right now. You could say, God, I'm going to get off of that throne and let you sit where you belong. You could turn away from your sin and turn to him. You could put your life in his hands. You could be baptized into Christ and, and begin this new life where you walk in the presence of God. But if you're not quite there yet, that's okay. I encourage you to keep coming back every Sunday. Make it a priority to be here through this whole series. And you know, in the meantime, you could still do something to help others find a home with Jesus. In fact, this is something we could all do. It's pretty simple, really. You can invite someone to come with you, to be here, 
for Christmas Sunday, December 22nd, or, or Christmas Eve, well, that's, that's a huge step. That could be the difference in someone's life. Over the next few weeks, we're going to dig deeper into this story. But here's what we don't want to do. We don't want to go back out into the world this week and just forget what life is all about. We don't want to pretend that we can fulfill this desire for home by running after success or pleasure or material things or even human relationships. You know, those things can be great, but nothing in this world can fill the God-sized hole in your heart. We long for his presence. And did you see the promise in that last verse that we just read? Jesus says to every one of his followers, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And that's what gets us through this life, his presence. God never promised that things would be easy in this world, but for everyone who follows Jesus, he did promise to be with us through all of the ups and all of the downs. And then as we go through this life, we look forward to a time when we will reach our permanent home. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, for this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. So you and I will never be completely at home here. We're hardwired with this desire because God wants us to be with him forever. And through Jesus, God made that possible. This is the last part of the story. We will always be restless until we reach our permanent home. And then when we get there, that restless ache, it'll be forgotten. We will be completely at rest, completely satisfied, fully known, and fully loved because we are at home with God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this story. I thank you that it's not just a story. It's real. You made us. You love us. We did run away, but you were willing to do whatever it took to bring us back home. So we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his sacrifice. If there's someone here who has not yet received that gift that you offer, I pray that they'll do that as soon as possible. And for all of us who have received that gift, I pray that we'll live with eternity in mind, that we won't get distracted about what life is all about. Lord, help us to live in your presence, walk in your presence, and help others to find home through Jesus. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.